The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Well, good morning. I, um, I asked the elders if I could have my guitar while I preach, but they, did, they wouldn't let me. Um, my name is Rene Gonzalez, and I have the joy of serving as one of the elders for the downtown campus. This morning, we continue uh, with our series in the book of Acts. So let me start by providing some context for our passage today. Back at the beginning of Acts 2, we read that when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This amazing event trigger different reactions. Those within this diverse crowd gather in Jerusalem due to the celebration of the Jewish, Jewish feast of Pentecost. Some of them were amazed. Others were intrigued and interested in knowing the meaning of what they were witnessing. Some attempted to explain the events by accusing the disciples of being drunk. And others even mocked them. But in the middle of all this, Peter stood up in the middle of the crowd, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, he began to preach. Now all the crowd is listening. They don't know it yet, But it was God who brought them to Jerusalem. They don't know it yet, but the Holy Spirit is working in their hearts as Peter speaks. And they don't know it yet, but soon they will not be only witnessing a miracle. Soon they themselves will be the miracle. So our last three Sundays we have heard three faithful and powerful expositions on this this three-point sermon preached by Peter at Pentecost. Each of these sermons helped us to understand the meaning of Pentecost. First, Pastor Jason helped us understand that the event of Pentecost shows that this was not the work of wine, but the work of the Spirit the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. Then Pastor Mingjing helped us to see how David's prophecy pointed to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then Pastor Kenny helped us to see that the outpouring of the Spirit is proof that Jesus' death and resurrection is just the proof of Jesus that Jesus has ascended, I'm sorry, 
and is seated at the right hand of God. And so we get to our text today. So please, if you will, go with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. Again, Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. We, go, we, we will read through verse 41. And Scripture says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were caught to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children. And for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about. 3,000 souls. Let me pray for us. Lord, be with us this morning. Help our unbelief. We want to see you. So as we come and witness the miracles at Pentecost, we ask that your Holy Spirit will work this miracle in our hearts today. That we will see our desperate need for a Savior. And that we will bow down in worship before Jesus. So we pray this morning that you will give us clear understanding. That you would give us deep affections. And that you would give us profound convictions to walk in your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. In our text, this morning we see at least four chronological movements in this wonderful story. And these become the four points of the sermon this morning. First... We see the conclusion of the sermon in verse 36. Then we see the response from the crowd. Then we see the call to repentance and faith. And finally, we see the outcome, the great harvest. I summarize the main point of this text like this. At Pentecost, God brings many to himself. In repentance and faith in Jesus, who is both 
Lord and the risen Messiah. So first, in verse 36, we get to the conclusion of Peter's sermon. And it says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter's sermon has come to its climax. And now he uses the word therefore to signal that what he's about to say is the logical inference of all of his sermon. He is grounding his conclusion in the fact that his arguments are based on Scripture and that they are true. He says, no for certain. In other words, this is beyond doubt. He's saying, you cannot deny that what am I saying is true and that these arguments demonstrate that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. And he does this by quoting from Joel chapter 2. He showed that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit prophesied by the prophet Joel was fulfilling Jesus Christ. From Psalm 16, he showed that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's plan. And that demonstrates that He is the Christ. And from Psalm 110, Peter demonstrates that Jesus is God and ascended into heaven. And now, He is now Lord, reigning and seated at the right hand of the Father. So Peter... He's preaching here. He's full of the Holy Spirit. And with boldness, he has interpreted Scripture as the fulfillment of God's saving plan in Jesus Christ. Peter is arguing that both the, te the testimony of Scripture and the miracles that they have witnessed prove without question that Jesus of Nazareth is the recent Messiah and the Lord of Israel. Now, in this conclusion, he addresses the crowd with the term house of Israel. And I think this is significant. For them, this sounded like one of those Old Testament prophets. This term was used dozens of times by the prophets to call Israel to turn to their God, Yahweh. For hundreds of years, the prophets called the house of Israel once and once again to turn to their God and repent from idolatry. So now, like one of those prophets from the Old Testament, Peter is addressing this crowd as representing the whole people of Israel. But there is more. In his conclusion, Peter not only affirms that the reality of Jesus being Lord and Christ are undeniable, but also he tells this crowd 
that they themselves are guilty for his death. I mean, it's one thing when, when a dad declares that the chocolate cake that he left in the fridge is gone. But then it's another thing when the same dad turns to his son and says, and now no, you ate it. <laughs> so Peter is doing that with the house of Israel. Of course, he's not talking of eating someone else's cake. If Jesus is Lord, is he sitting at the right hand of God? If he's really the promised Messiah, then all the house of Israel are in great danger. This is a serious accusation to them. Because if this is true, they have rejected and crucified their own king. You see, this is what some call the bad news of the gospel. The house of Israel needed to see that they had rejected and offended the king of kings. They needed to see the seriousness of their situation. They needed to know that Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. They needed to know that they stand as enemies of the one true God. And brothers and sisters, let me remind you that just as that crowd, we need to be reminded of these two. So with much love, let me ask you, let me ask you, watching online, are you rejecting Jesus? Are you ignoring His love for you? Please remember that, that this crowd has, that Peter is addressing is, is full of people who know a lot about God. This is the house of Israel. And still they have rejected their God. So I have, I have prayed for some of you. I have prayed for all of you. But I have especially prayed that for some of you, this will be the day when you will face this reality. Maybe just like me, you grew up in, in a Christian home. You know, you're, you're part of the house of Israel. But deep in your heart, you know that you are rejecting Jesus. Jesus. 
deep inside, maybe you know that you're just an expectator, that you don't love him. You know, you and I were created to honor and worship Jesus as Lord and Christ. So I pray that that some of you would see that today. That you would be aware of this reality in your heart. Going back to our text. Now that the question... How is the crowd going to respond to this? How is the crowd going to respond to this indictment given by Peter? Just 50 days ago, you know, just 50 days before Pentecost, Peter and the other apostles saw what happened to Jesus. He was interrogated by the chief priest and the elders of Israel. You remember that? And when he declared that he was the Christ... And when he said that he would be seated at the right hand of the Father, the leaders tore their garments. They accused Jesus of blasphemy and condemned him to death. So I can... I can portray this as those movies in which something happens and everybody's just expecting, waiting what's going to happen next. Is Peter going to be stoned with the rest of the disciples? Are they going to tore their garments and kill them all right there for their blasphemy? Of declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord and, and He's seated at the right hand of God. So second, we see the reaction of the crowd. Verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were caught to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brother, Brothers, what shall we do? Wow! They were conscience-stricken for what they heard. They heard the gospel. They heard that Jesus' death, life, and resurrection was God's plan all alone. They heard that this Jesus is Lord and Christ. And they heard that they were guilty before God. They heard these words. And they were caught to the heart. So how do we explain this reaction? How do we explain this? What changed from 50 days ago? Just weeks ago, many of them were perhaps shouting, Away with him! Crucify him! Give us Barabbas! Who is this Jesus anyways? Many of them 
Just minutes ago, we're making fun of the disciples and accusing them of being drunk. So what is going on here? The difference is that the Spirit is at work. The Spirit is at work. God is bringing about this great harvest for Himself. You see, Jesus, Jesus said it in John 16. He said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is, your, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus knew that the Spirit had to come and do this work. People hear things all the time. We hear things or read things in our phones and our computers all day. But this message about Jesus is different. These words have the power of piercing deep down into the human heart. These words have the power to produce faith and conviction because faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. What they heard that morning changed their lives forever. Hallelujah! This is a miracle! This is a miracle! Pastor Jason said it three Sundays ago. The greatest miracle at Pentecost was not that 120 people spoke in foreign languages, but that 3,000 people who were dead in their sins had their hearts of stone put out, a new heart put in that loves Jesus more than anything else forever. Before this moment, Jesus was not relevant to them. Jesus was not important. They had other problems, other concerns on their daily life. But now, the relevance of this has come to them. Now they realize, listening to Peter, that this Jesus whom they had just dismissed is the one whom they must be vitally concerned about. For the first time, they see that they have been fighting against God as they reject His Christ. At this point, they are not spectators of the miracle of Pentecost. The miracle prophesied by Joel, 
Now by the preaching of the gospel and by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, they are the miracle. You and I are the miracle. Their hearts have been changed. The Spirit is working. And now for the first time, they start to see. One commentator puts it this way. You may wonder why I, I call preaching a miracle. We've all heard plenty of it that didn't seem very miraculous to us. But preaching of a biblical text with the power of the Holy Spirit to people whom He has prepared seldom lacks a miraculous result. Conviction, faith, and changed lives. And I believe with all of my heart that the Lord continues to do this in His people's heart. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that for yourself? Do you believe that for those who would hear the message of the gospel from your mouth? Do you believe that when we preach the gospel, we should be expecting miracles to happen? Lives changed. I believe that when we come together through the Word of God, our hearts will be drawn with conviction, strengthened with hope, and that our lives will be transformed by His power. I believe that the Holy Spirit is able to take our stubborn hearts, our rebellious hearts, and help us to see our sin, our blindness. And I believe that the Spirit can help us to see the beauty and the majesty of Jesus Christ. Now that their hearts have been convicted by this truth, in desperation, the crowd shouts, Brothers, what shall we do? And this takes us to the third point of the message. Verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children. And for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. 
before trying to understand the meaning of this call to repentance and baptism in this text, I would like us to pause and don't miss the significance of this next part of the story. Here you have, you have a father who happens to be the creator and the king of all the universe. And then you have this crowd who brutally murdered his only son in a normal, in a normal story. This is the moment where the father takes out his sword and kills them. We know that. Jesus himself told the story of the master of a house who planted a vineyard and leased to tenants so they will work it. When the season of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to get his fruit, and the tenants beat and killed his servants. Then the master decides to send his own son, hoping that they will respect him. But these evil tenants kill his son. Jesus then asked the crowd around him, what would the master do? And they all answered, he would put those wretches to a miserable death and let out of the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits of their seasons. This is exactly what this crowd in the book of Acts deserves. They deserve a miserable death. And that is also what you and I deserve. Yes, we, you could say I'm I'm a good person. I haven't killed anyone. I sometimes go to church. I grew up in a Christian home. This story is beautiful because instead of crushing them in His holy wrath, he calls them to come to him in repentance and faith. So, brothers and sisters, let me remind you today that the God we worship is a loving God. That the God we worship is a merciful God. That the God we worship is a forgiving God. For God so loved the world 
that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. This story is the story of the incredible love and mercy of God towards vile and underserving sinners. This is our story, right? Now Peter answers the question from, from the crowd. The, questions wa- the question was, brothers, what shall we do? And his answer is, repent and be baptized. Again, just as many prophets from the Old Testament, this call to repent, this call to repentance, they know about it. But what does it, what does it mean to repent? In the Old Testament, this word implies a genuine sorrow for sin that involves an alteration of attitude towards God that brings about a conversion or reorientation of life. It communicates the idea of turning to the Lord, turning to the Lord. In the New Testament, the word uses, the word uses metanoia and communicates a similar idea but also involves a change of mind about Jesus and the change of heart that leads to life. When Grudem defines repentance as a heartfelt sorrow for sin, renouncing of it, and a sincere commitment to forsake it and to walk in obedience to Christ. So we could say that biblical repentance includes at least three elements. Some intellectual understanding about our sin and about Jesus. Emotional sorrow for sin and desire for Jesus. And a volitional commitment to turn away from sin and turn to God in obedience. So repentance is something that occurs in the heart and involves the whole person in a decision to turn from sin and turn to Christ. Our elder affirmation of faith at Bethlehem affirms that we believe that this embracing of all of Christ is not a mere intellectual intellectual assent or a mere decision of the will, but it's also a heartfelt, spirit-filled, yet not perfect, satisfaction in all that God is for us in Jesus. Therefore, the change of mind and heart that turns from moral ugliness and danger of sin, and is sometimes, cal- sometimes called repentance, is included in the very nature of saving faith. It is important to realize that mere sorrow for one's actions or even remorse over one's action does not constitute genuine, genuine repentance, unless it is accompanied by a sincere decision to forsake sin that has been committed against God. So in the context of our passage, in the context of the book of Acts, to repent means to turn from your sins, namely your unbelief, and turn to God through faith in Jesus. 
Now, the text says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And the question is, does this mean that baptism is a requirement for the forgiveness of sins? I believe the answer is no. I believe that the Bible doesn't teach that baptism is a requirement for the forgiveness of sins. Two reasons. First, that reading will necessitate that baptism is also a requirement to receive the Holy Spirit. And the rest of the New Testament doesn't support that. Second, the rest of the book of Acts presents baptism as an initial evidence of genuine repentance and present baptism as subsequent to repentance and faith in Jesus. So I think in Acts 2.38, Peter adds baptism as the natural, naturally understood consequences, consequence of repentance. But it's not baptism. It's repentance which brings forgiveness. Repentance and faith in Jesus Christ are inseparable. But that doesn't mean baptism is not important. For the disciples, baptism was an important part of making disciples of Jesus, and it is important for us too. So just as a small commercial, if you have repented and put your faith in Christ, but have not been baptized... And if you have questions about it, I'll ask you to don't wait anymore. Talk to, to your small group leader. Talk to one of the elders and, and please sign up for one of our baptism classes. End of commercial. <laughs> our elder affirmation of faith says the following uh, regarding baptism. We believe that baptism is an ordinance of the Lord by which those who have repented and come to faith express their union with Christ in His death and resurrection by being immersed in water in the name of our Father and the Son of the Holy, and the Holy Spirit. It is a sign of belonging to the new people of God, the true Israel, and an emblem of burial and cleansing, signifying death to the old life of unbelief and purification from the pollution of sin. Then our text says, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. And it says, For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For those who repent of their sin and unbelief and turn to God, confessing Jesus as the Lord and Messiah, Peter says they will receive forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy when he said, when Peter said back, back in verse 21, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? These are, amen, these are the greatest news. These are the greatest news ever. 
the God that has the right to pour out his wrath over his enemies offers full pardon. This crowd is going from desperation to celebration. In his love and mercy, he does not deal with them according to their sins. He does not repay them according to their iniquities. But in his steadfast love, he removes their transgressions. And the reason why he can forgive them is because Jesus, the one whom they crucified, died for them. Remember Jesus' words in the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. God forgave us in Christ by canceling the death we own Him. That is to say, we are no longer held liable for our sins. And as Psalm 32 says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up and by the heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Forgiveness is a great gift. And I hope each and, each, each and every one of you has experienced this. We sung about it just a while ago. But as great as forgiveness is, it is not an end in itself. It's a means. A means to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not only God for them in forgiveness, but God with them through the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness means that God is bringing them to Himself. So forgiveness is the way God brings sinners to Himself. Lastly, what, what was the outcome? This was a big harvest. This was a big harvest. Three thousand souls repented came to faith in Christ and were baptized (laughs) this is so exciting God is fulfilling the meaning of Pentecost by pouring out his spirit bringing thousands to repentance and faith and by inaugurating this 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 time in which we are witnessed of everything that the reason Jesus continues to do. Later in his life, in his, in his epistle, Peter wrote about this. 
And he said, Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And Peter says, things into which angels long to look. So let me, let me close this morning um, with some brief points of, of application. If you are here this morning or listening online and you have not come to God in repentance and faith, please know that you are in great danger. And please be assured that the God of love is calling you to come to Himself. He will forgive all of your sins. And we will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Second, this reality, this story is not just another story. It's the story. It's the story that defines all other stories. This reality should define how you see your life in this world. So whether you are suffering right now, maybe in the middle of a very complicated family situation, or whether you are going through the happiest time of your life, the fact that God, that the God of the universe forgave your sins, gave you the gift of the Spirit, and that you are forever His. Should fill our hearts this morning with hope and joy and purpose. To know that our little stories have been swallowed, absorbed into the great story of victory. Should, 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 should fill our hearts with hope. And lastly, uh, a word of encouragement. I don't know about you, but not all of my experiences sharing the gospel look like Pentecost. I've been, I've been thinking about Global Partners who are in very difficult places. It's worth it. It's worth it. 
Either if it's one or three thousand, it's worth it. So I encourage you to go and be part of this. Be part of this story of saving grace and love and forgiveness. Know that the power of the Holy Spirit is with you. And that our God is mighty to save. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we face unbelief even in our days. Help our unbelief. And as your church, help us to be reminded of this truth. And may our hearts be filled with hope and joy and purpose. And may we be encouraged to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.